Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK. This is Before the Box Score, and it's game week. In fact, less than 24 hours from now, Missouri football Tigers will be taking the field against Louisiana Tech and playing actual American college football. We did it! We made it through the offseason. We have a game tomorrow. BK, how, how, how are you feeling, man? Uh, I'm conflicted, I'm excited, but conflicted because, God, I hate this Louisiana Tech game. I absolutely despise it. The the closer we get, the more anxious I get about it because, let's be honest, Nate, there's no upside here. Either Missouri beats the heck out of them, and you come out feeling, okay, Missouri should have beaten the heck out of them because the line right now in Vegas is three touchdowns. Or Missouri doesn't cover that spread. They end up showing some, you know, deficiencies as a team because that's typically how things go in week number one. And everybody feels uh, coming out of it like, oh boy, how is this team going to find a way to beat Kansas State on the road the following week? Mm -hmm. So the upside is not there. However, real football is here. And I love the fact that it is on a Thursday night. I understand that it conflicts with some of your all schedule. It was going to conflict no matter what. It's Labor Day weekend. Let's be honest. We all got stuff to do. So being on a Thursday night for me makes things much easier. I appreciate the fact that it is there. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I understand that the fan, the the stands are not exactly going to be uh, filled to the brim, but it's going to be fun. Football is here and we actually get to watch something that matters for the first time in nine months. So that's pretty cool in my estimation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always an excuse. There's always an excuse. And, and what I tell my four-year-old is that if you actually cared, you would make time to do it. 
So um, whether that's watching on TV or travel to the to the actual stadium or what have you, um, if it matters to you, you're going to find a way. So. Um, and if it doesn't, that's cool too. Like if you want to watch from home, like God yeah, bless you, it. that's fine. I, yeah. I got no issues with it. The the product on TV, like that's how I'm going to be watching. Product on TV is excellent, man. It's really great. My beer is cold at all times. I don't have to wait in a line. Like if you just want to watch a game from, from your house, I totally understand it. Yeah. But you are going to want to watch it from home on Saturday too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Live tweet it. Um, you know, bring your friends over, have a, have a good time, have a great yeah. day with football. Like, you will find a way to watch this game no matter what. So, um, yeah, it's very exciting. And, yeah, if you're at home, you don't have to deal with uh, weird food lockers that you have to unlock with a QR code <laughs> or stand in line for 20 minutes for a beer uh, that you have to pay 12 bucks for, which I will be doing. Uh, I will happily pay $12 for a beer for my for my team. So uh, here's a question for you, Nate. You're yep. going out to the game tomorrow night. We'll get to all the coverage and everything. We, I promise you we will do all of that. We'll break this thing down six ways Sunday. However... <laughs> Nate, when you go to Columbia, we're recording this on Wednesday night, but you'll mm-hmm. be there probably by the time that we are, people are actually listening to this. What's your plan? What, what, what are the must do's? What's your game day plan? So I will be traveling with a friend of mine, Adam Milton, shout out Adam. Um, he will be going to his first game like this decade because he was in the Navy for a long time. So he has not been back to Columbia for a while. I have not been back for three years. There is not a game plan, but there are things that we absolutely have to go do. Number one, Shakespeare's. Got to do it. Got to do it when you're there. Number two, Flat Branch. Got to do it. Got to be there. Got to do it. It's um, one of my favorite spots. Absolutely. There will be some uh, some Berg, the Heidelberg. Got to drop by there. My old haunt. Spent my most of my 21st birthday there. Um, there will be a trip to the diner somewhere in there. Uh, and there will probably be a mistake of eating El Rancho after the clock strikes midnight. Oh, oh. I can't say I'm making too old for that. Good, sir. I am too old for that, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) So I, I have, uh, I have a loose game plan, not ordered, not, not, not in an order or a schedule, but we have things we're going to do. And on top of that, we're going to go hang out with my good friend, Nathan Hurst, who tailgates for every single game. Uh, so we'll be headed there as well. So I don't know. I'm going to walk around gold shirt, gold shoes, black hat. Uh, you see a tall guy with a, who's way too fat. That's me. Um, and then, Hey, just scream my name and say that I hate Mizzou and I'll stop and talk to you. Um, uh, I can't wait. I can't wait. This is my first time back in Columbia since 2019 when we for the West Virginia game. So, um, it's going to be good, man. It's going to be real good. That's awesome. What would you, Uh, where would you go if you were going to, I was about to say you, you made one mistake. Uh, it's a significant one. You left CJ's wings off of your list. I don't know if they're doing the game day special um, t- uh, on Thursday. Normally, they've got like the 32 ounce game day special Boulevard um, wheats that you can get for like five ninety nine. Mm-hmm. It's it's really a, a, a delicacy that <laughs> I I need in my life, yeah. and it's been too long since I've had one. But that is my go-to really anytime I'm in Columbia, but especially on game days. But you made up for it by the fact that you said you're going to Flat Branch, which I respect. Yep. Um, that is an underrated spot in Columbia. And really just about anytime we are there, myself and my wife, that is like the number one thing that is on our, we got to go there. Just go ahead and grab a beer, uh, grab one of the appetizers and worst case scenario, get out of there afterwards. But you at least have to do that. Yeah. Their honey wheats are unbelievable. I God, I love the honey wheat. It's incredible. And it's so you know, good. I, this is this is my power ranking of Columbia things. It's it's a very deep list, and there's only a finite amount of time. 
Um, so if you're screaming and saying, how do you not go to this or that? I guarantee you, if you gave me the 24 more hours, I probably would have hit it, but there are, everyone's got their, you know, everyone's got their own jam, their own playlist. Uh, this is mine. <laughs> and so we are going to, uh, walk by a lot of places that I wish I could spend more time at, but we are going for a football game. So that's going to, that's going to trump most. Of I was about to say, you had like four restaurants on your list and you're going to be there for 24 hours. So I respect the fact that you're getting to that many. Look, look, no excuses. Play like a champion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we are, we are going to go hard. Uh, Cause there's only a handful of times that I'm going back, especially for a football game. So we got to make go. it count. Let's talk about your Missouri football Tigers. And before we get into the game, we had some we had some roster news, which, again, I know this is more offseason topic, um, but I, you can't help but talk about a roster addition when it happens. We hinted last week about some rumors about Marcus Clark, the cornerback out of Miami, the U, who was shopping around for a new school. He had hit the transfer portal when he was realizing that he wasn't going to see playing time. There were a ton of schools in the mix, Missouri included, and yesterday, uh, Mr. Clark announced that he was going to transfer to Mizzou. Uh, now, this was, <laughs> well, we'll talk about journalistic integrity in a little bit, but this was broken, quote unquote, by Chris Hummer, uh, who noticed that uh, Marcus Clark was enrolled at Mizzou. Uh, just as a, an aside, you can enroll in as many schools as you want. Doesn't mean you're going there. OK, so uh, don't don't use that as kind of a litmus test of he's here <laughs> or he's not. Um, but he ended up did commit, uh, he did commit to Mizzou. Uh, he adds another cornerback body to the Tigers. Here is the catch. It's August 30th when he committed. It's currently August 31st. The Tigers play tomorrow, September 1st. He is currently not eligible to play in the 2022 season. He wouldn't require uh, a waiver from the NCAA to play immediately. So the Missouri Tigers are adding a scholarship to a roster that's already chock full of scholarships, two more than what we needed. He is being added on uh, and not going to see the field unless the NCAA and all of its infinite wisdom uh, clears him to play. So a couple things on this BK. Number one, what do you think of the addition in general? And number two, is he, is he any good? Is he any good? So uh, let's start with number one. We talked about this. If you want our full thoughts on it, go back to the last podcast and we kind of went into, okay, what does this mean for the fact that like the, the Tigers have had a lot of players now that they've added via the transfer portal. And at some point, don't you kind of need to, you know, focus on the guys that you got in high school recruiting? The answer to that, in my opinion, is yes. Like you do need to be looking at um, those players that you're getting through, high school recruiting and the previous transfer portal additions. Eventually, I, I I think that the tough part is, man, there's just not a lot of film that we have on Marcus Clark. He, based on all reports, is fine, but he hasn't played a ton. He was better in 2020 than he was last year. It's fine. I, I don't necessarily have a problem with him adding a guy who was a solid recruit that has played like 300 snaps defensively in college. Like that's fine. I, I got no issues with that in a vacuum. But when you actually specifically get down to it on what does this mean for Missouri? It does give me some, you know, questions. I think it's fair to question. Does this mean that they aren't totally sold on what they have with Chris Abrams, Drayden, Enos Rakestra, and Drayden Norwood, and DJ Jackson, and LJ Hewitt, and all of the guys that they've added over the last couple of years? 
And if that is indeed the case, man, eventually shouldn't these guys like that have had the two best recruiting classes that we've ever seen in the history of Missouri, shouldn't they play? And if you keep adding players through the portal, the answer is going to be no. So I'm conflicted on this. I, I don't necessarily have a huge issue with it. I don't think it's the end of the world, but I do think it's weird. I, I think it is strange. I, I will add this though, Nate. If there is one thing that I know about coaches, it's that they like their former players. They get connected to them, and Blake Baker had the connection at Miami with Clark. So this could be as simple as he really thinks that Clark is special, and so that's why they're adding him. Like that that's definitely in play here. And if that's all this is, like, okay, fine, so be it. Could be, yeah. And and let's also give the coaching staff some credit. Number one, they see these guys way more than we do. Yeah. They know their team a lot better than we do. And corner is the youngest position group on this roster you know we, we talked about it in our position previews i've cited it a couple times in my game previews like there's no one there's not a single corner on this roster who has more than three years of experience they're all some flavor of sophomore or younger so yeah like maybe it does take a little bit of time for younger guys to mature especially at a position that is overly reliant on experience to be good just flat out um so if that's the case and they've seen their guys, you know, Chris Abrams drain uh, and his rake straw, DJ Jackson, you know, uh, Drayton Norwood, Marcus Scott, Davian Sistrick, like they were all there this spring. They're all there this summer at this point. You know, if, if they think they need to add someone else because these guys aren't good enough, fine. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Like, yeah, I trust you, but it does go back to what are we missing with this recruiting class? Um, now it would be unfair to ask Marcus Scott to jump in and commit, you know, to contribute immediately. He was a four star out of Conroe, Texas. Not all four stars are created equal. Maybe he does need some time to season. Maybe he does need to be a rotational player before he sees significant snaps. That's fine. The weird part to me though, is that it's not as if this is a total surprise that they need a waiver to clear Clark to play. Now this yeah. is the coaches absolutely know that. So either a, they know something that we don't and think that he's going to be cleared not only immediately, but relatively quickly or B they're like, it's so bad. We need someone right now and we will roll the dice and hope that it comes up snake eyes for us. And okay. If that's the case, then that's fine. One of those, well, neither of those speak great for your current cornerback situation. One of those is more prepared obviously and feels good about it. But uh, regardless of the reason why, He's here. He's going to be on the roster. He's taking classes. He's going to be practicing with the team. He's going to be taking up a scholarship spot. So whether we see him this year or not is up to the powers that be at the NCAA. Um, but we've got yet another third-year corner, a sophomore, um, who gets added in the mix and technically improves the cornerback room, question mark. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, That's the hope, right? Is that, okay, this guy's good enough that a year from now when we're having this conversation and we're going into the football season and he's starting maybe opposite of Enos Rakestraw or whoever at that time is, is starting at corner. We're looking at this like, God, thank goodness they ended up adding that guy last year because now you feel so much better about what you have going into mm -hmm. fall camp and then into the season. And I will say like uh, looking at the pro football focus numbers on him, he did have 230 snaps out wide last year. So when he was utilized, he was a guy that was typically lined up on the outside. And that is something they don't 
have a lot of right now. Like they do have size and length, but when you look at the guys that they have available to them, Chris Abrams, Drayden, I think profiles best in the slot. Mm-hmm. I think Drayden Norwin eventually profiles best as playing in the slot as well. And you basically just have Rake Straw Jackson that have played significant snaps on the outside. And then he would, of course, coming in and we'll see how far along he is. But I can't understand how they would say, okay, we're a little light there. But they should have known that in the spring as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this might just be a simple case of, hey, we've got a connection here. This is a guy that we want to add on the roster and we'll figure it out. <laughs> like he's just, he's good enough that we we need to go ahead and get him on campus. And this is something we saw them do last year with Chuck Clark. Mm-hmm. I don't think he plays for them this year, even if he does end up getting the, the um, eligibility, the waiver. I don't think he's going to see significant snaps just because it is technically still a new team, a new st- not scheme necessarily, but a new system that he's playing in here. Um, I, it, there's some adjustment period there. So I'd be surprised if he plays significant snaps for Mizzou this year. And I guess next year we'll find out if it was worth the addition or not. Yeah. And like I said, they're at 88 scholarships to my count. Um, so that's that's kind of the, the dirty little secret here. Missouri plays tomorrow. So they are at 85 scholarships. How they got there? We have no idea. And again, they're not going to broadcast it like they broadcast commitments or anything like that. Um, they're just going to quietly take it away from somebody and say, sorry, you know, we got to we gotta do this for the team. So you've got 88 scholarships, counting Clark. You have 40 on the offense. You have 44 on defense, plus four specialists in Jake Hoffman, Sean Kading, Daniel Hawthorne, of course, the thicker Harrison Mevis. So we didn't see anybody quit football. We didn't see anybody transfer away. And we didn't see anybody uh, medically retire. So somewhere in there, someone lost a scholarship. Now you can prognosticate. You can guess all you want. Again, we're not really going to know. Um, there, I got my guesses. Like, you know, obviously Chance Looper is uh, son of a coach. And there is a chance that maybe his, you know, he doesn't have to uh, pay for school because his dad's an employee there and they got it covered. I don't know. Um, but there's somewhere down the line that they're a little bit over and I don't know how they got there, but they did. Um, so kind of a, a dirty underbelly of college football, if you will. But like <laughs> you said, the theme of the drink with staff is we'll figure it out. And this is just one of those situations where, yeah, they have 88, they got to 85 and they figured it out. And I do think just big picture, looking at the scholarship count, looking at where they are with all these transfers and so on. I think they're at, what is it, 26 over the last couple of years is what they've taken yep. in in terms of the transfer number. Mm-hmm. That needs to go down. Like the, this offseason, they shouldn't be taking another 15 transfers through the portal. They should be in a spot roster-wise where most of these guys, the vast majority, are now Drinkwitz recruits or transfers. He has compiled this roster. And so kind of looking forward next offseason, I, I do believe that this is a team that should be closer to the five to 10 transfers than the 15 plus transfers that they're looking at. And I think transfer portal activity is going to die down as time goes on. Anyway, um, it's tough to tell because we are still dealing with uh, COVID seniors who can stick around for an extra year. We're really not going to be able to fully figure out the impact of the transfer portal until those guys leave. Yeah. Um, but uh, again, like I said before, you just need some some horror stories. <laughs> you need a story yeah. of a guy who was really good, who thought he could get more somewhere else or get more playing time somewhere else, hit the transfer portal and never got picked up. Like you just need those stories to compile to have people go, ah, maybe maybe I, it's not so bad where I am currently. Uh, it's not going to make it go away completely, 
but anything new needs to kind of go through its bumps and we're in the middle of it. So it seems like it's kind of a, a problem, a long-term issue. But again, we're only really in our second year of, of an active transfer portal and the entire time we've had COVID seniors. So it's, it's weird. NIL throws another loop in this. So there's just a lot of changes, but I, I don't, I don't foresee coaches in the future going so heavy uh, on the transfer portal Unless they're, it's like their first year, right? And they just like, oh, this guy's got to go. This guy's got to go. Let's bring in somebody else. I, I can see that happening. But it's not a sustainable model, kind of like relying on JUCOs. Um, transfers can give you like one more year than a JUCO can, and like they're immediately eligible. But that's not how you want to build a team, establish a culture, you know, long-term, that sort of thing. Um, and maybe the long-term build doesn't exist anymore that we had the portal, <laughs> but uh, I, I just don't see coaches foresee coaches doing it that heavily. And it's all just going it, to, it's going to figure itself out in the end. Yeah. They'll, they'll make it work um, better or worse. They, they will find a way, as you mentioned earlier. And in the end, they hope that the choices that they have made via the portal and the guys that they have run off end up giving them the best team possible. And that's, that's really where it comes down, right? This is all about opportunity cost mm-hmm. and, if you add a guy at this point, given what their numbers are at, this is not like last year where you are at a, a, a well below the scholarship limitations. Now, when you add a guy, you know, you have to remove a guy. And that that's really the question here is who are you m- removing? How much better are you getting there? Mm-hmm. Who are you potentially running off by bringing in a new player? Not just the guy that you want to remove from the team, but also the one who is now buried on the depth chart more than they would have been previously. Um, or who sees the writing on the wall because you brought in a player at their respective position. Th- those are all the decisions that you are going to have to make. And it's it's why team building is really hard, man. And maybe never more so than it is in this moment, given all of the, the, the th- situations that you mentioned with the portal, high school recruiting, the extra year of COVID eligibility. It all makes things uh, very difficult from a roster math perspective. It really does. So... The roster has been added to. That's cool. Let's talk about the depth chart. Let's talk about the guys who are going to be playing tomorrow. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz and his staff released the depth chart. And uh, I don't know. I didn't think there were a ton of surprises there. I, I did run the numbers on this, and I kind of broke it down in a, in a couple different ways. And we'll get to the actual positions. But um, <laughs> the, the thing that really struck out to me that I wanted to know first and foremost was was kind of what I, I talked about during the summer when I mentioned all of the guys who had committed to Barry Odom and were still around. Uh, I mentioned them that I for you could easily foresee a scenario where Eli Drinkwitz's third uh, Missouri football team would be mostly his guys, but the starters would be mostly older Odom recruits. So yeah. that was the first thing I did. I was like, all right, so let's of the of the twenty two that we got. How many, or you know, twenty-four, I guess, counting kickers and punters and returners. How many of them committed to Odom? Well, it's ten. So the number of Odom commits who are actually starting is ten: Brady Cook, Javon Foster, Xavier Delgado, Trajan Jeffcoat, Darius Robinson, Isaiah McGuire, Chad Bailey, Ortez Manuel, Jalen Carlisle, and then Harrison Mevis. So basically, the defense. <laughs> basically, the entire defense. You got it. Then I was like, all right, so how many are Drinkwitz commits? And it's thirteen. Okay, but how many of those Drinkwitz commits are the non-transfers? And of those 13, the ones that are actually high school commits that he brought in, there were seven of them. 
That's mm. Elijah Young, Chance Looper, Luther Burden, Dominic Lovett, Connor Tolleson, who was not scheduled to start but did because Bensi Polgar was out, uh, Chris Abrams Drain, and then Ennis Rakestraw. So it's actually a significant m- number more than I thought coming in of, of Drinkwitz high school recruits that were actually playing. Um, but there's not a ton of four stars there. Dom Lovett and Luther Burden, obviously four and five stars. Everybody else was kind of more on the 5.6, 5.7, 5.5 variety. So um, this roster is littered with uh, quote unquote or starters, right? Where it's like, well, this person could start or this person and this person's second team, or it could be this person. Just looking at this, BK, what, what were some things that immediately stood out to you? Uh, I'll go to the first one because it's a headliner for me. Um, the fact that you have a punt returner situation right now where Chris Abrams Drain is technically listed as the starter is is really surprising to me. I got to be honest with you, Nate. I thought for sure they would have Luther Burden listed there as the starter. And I do think that by midseason, late season, that will indeed be the case. They're going to have Luther as their starting punt returner. I think they're trying to make him quote unquote earn that. And I think that he will. He was, according to all reports, one of the best returners in the history of the the city of St. Louis. And there's been some really good returners here. Mm -hmm. So I, I think he'll get that. But that was like, I know it's not a starting 22 roster spot, but I was a little surprised to see that. Otherwise, it kind of went according to plan. I mean, there there weren't a ton of spots where I was really confused as to who was going to start. I would say that the fact that Joseph Charleston is listed as an or starter with Jelani Williams, a bit of a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. I thought Joseph Charleston would kind of take that job and run with it at one of the safety spots. That That is of note. Otherwise, though, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing for me is I'm trying to figure out still who the six defensive linemen are that they're they quote unquote trust because they keep repeating that quote that, Hey, we've got six guys on the D line out of the 18 that we have on scholarship that we trust right now. Um, and so I, I just keep going through and like, okay, who are they? Because they keep saying they really like Christian Williams and Jaden Jernigan and Josh Landry. So you would think that those would be three. Mm-hmm. Darius Robinson is one of the starters. There's four. Mm-hmm. So is the other two Trajan Jeffcoat and Isaiah McGuire? And what does that mean about DJ Coleman, who's apparently getting NFL buzz? Like, I I don't know, man. I, I'm i very confused by the defensive line situation, but they seem to be excited about it. So hopefully that goes according to plan. So that's a long way to say I'm really only surprised by the punt return situation. Was there anything else that stood out to you? I mean, can we talk about tight end? I know no. it's not like the most important position, especially the past. I don't want years. to. What happened to our big, beautiful horse? Where'd he go? He's third. He's, he's third on the depth chart. My man. He's it third is, on the depth chart. Is, what? Tyler Stevens. Okay, cool. Fourth year junior. Whatever. Sure. Fine. Kibit Chepiator, guy who yeah. really only saw the field against army last year. He's a walk on tall, tall walk on six. Seven. I was about to say he's what? Six, seven, six, eight. Yeah. Um, from Carroll Stream, Illinois, but Ryan Horstcamp, Max Wisner, Gavin McKay. Well, I mean, Gavin's more of a pass catching tight end, but like, yeah. you know, Ryan and Gavin have been in this system for two years. I know Kibbit's been around for a while, but that just seems like a, a mistake. They they, they got to redo this, don't you think? I would think so. I think by the end of the year, Horse Camp will be higher on the depth chart than he is today. 
I'm not going to lie to you. It, it does disappoint me that he is not higher. Um, I think we're going to probably have to have some serious conversations with, with the horse about what our future looks like. And if he if he's not able to rise up this particular depth chart, which, let's be honest, we're all Mizzou fans here. Mm-hmm. Tight end is not exactly the strongest spot on the roster. Um, it, that That is uh, a bit concerning for his future outlook, but it's only his second year on campus. Like, he's... He's got some time. He's got some time to still be able to make this work. Let, let's talk about one other spot, though, Nate. Sure. How about running back? <laughs> Just the uh, throw everything at it and figure out who sticks position. So I've been a skeptic and I continue to be a skeptic on the Cody Schrader conversation. I think there's a real chance he starts. Like yeah. a, a non-zero chance that when they take the field on Thursday night, mm-hmm. you have Brady Cook at quarterback. You have, I think it will be Luther Burden, Dominic Lovett. And if I had to guess, Mookie Cooper lining up at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And I think that you might see Cody Schrader in the backfield. And I got to be honest with you. That was not on my bingo card. I was not prepared for that to be the way that they lined up on opening night. Now, I maybe that's a good thing. And Cody Schrader came out and he was just clearly the best running back throughout camp. And he was so far and away better than the other guys that were or were not able to get on the field that, hey man, he earned it. And God bless him if that ends up being the case. And I hope that he has a fantastic season for Mizzou. But it's at least a little puzzling to me that that's the way that this thing went. And I want to be happy for him, but I'm also like, man, Elijah Young, I think looked pretty good last year. Mm -hmm. Nathan Pete, based on everything that I saw on tape, looked like a guy that should really be able to help this team. And then it's Cody Schrader that comes in (laughs) as a transfer coming up a level and he ends up starting. So what did you make of that possibility? Ah, man, I, I don't think... I don't think they know anything at all. Nate Pete's been hurt. Uh, I know BJ Harris missed some time. Cody Schrader has been the guy who's been on campus since spring, who has not been hurt. And I think there's a little bit of, we've seen the most from him in the time that we have. And again, for all, you know, everybody's podcast is their first. So I don't want to assume anything from you all. Cody Schrader is a fifth year senior. From Lutheran South, don't hear a lot of football players coming out of Lutheran South at the hmm. D1 level. Unranked coming out of high school. He is 5'9", 217 currently. Last year at Truman State, shout out Truman State, shout out Kirk Vegas, played 12 games, ran the ball 300 times for 2,074 yards, 25 touchdowns, and 6.9 yards per carry. Nice. He also threw in 22 catches for 214 yards and a touchdown just for kicks and griggles, right? So that's 9.7 yards per catch. That's 6.9 yards per carry. That is 2,288 yards from scrimmage. Uh, and he did that at, what is Truman State? D2, I think. Um, so, yeah. Below, he, below the SEC. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't indeed confirm that. Yes, not the SEC. So he comes onto campus, and because he doesn't get hurt, you know, he, he's got this rep. And I think a lot of people are like, all right, 
you know, we got this this guy from Truman State who run for ran for all the yards last year, led all of college football as a sport in yard in rushing yards. Cool, he's on our he's on our team. Let's see what he can do. Very much the Michael Cox kind of treatment from a couple of years ago. But if he's the one who's got the most tape, most reps at, with the ones, yeah, I get why they're putting him up there as like, oh, he could start. Uh, I think you know uh, Nathaniel Pete. I think Elijah Young are probably. From an athletic standpoint, probably a higher ceiling than Mr. Schrader has. But at the same time, if you want to win games, you need to be consistent and you need to be there and you need to be taking the reps. And maybe that's the power that Cody Schrader had. He took the reps. He was there and they trust him. Yeah, I just like the pro football focus numbers for what it's worth on on Nate Pete from last year. He's apparently a terrible pass blocker. Um, I, I didn't see a ton of it when I went back and watched him on film. I know that's one of those things that coaches always are like, yeah, he can't pass block, so we can't have him out there. Okay. All right. Well, he's a very good runner of the football, so maybe you should try having him out there more often. Um, I don't know how much that went into it versus what you were mentioning of the fact that like Nate Pete just wasn't out there very much apparently during fall camp and they never really gave a firm answer as to why first it was dehydration. Then it was a soft tissue issue, which is basically like what they were doing for, hockey players where it's like, Hey, it was a, it was a lower body injury. And that could mean literally anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know where Nate Pete's at right now, physically, mentally. Uh, I, I just don't know. Confidence wise, my guess would be, and I, I'm curious if you're in the same spot. I bet you, they do like a Elijah young gets a drive. Cody Schrader gets yep. a drive. Nate Pete yep. gets a drive and you guys get to prove yourself against Louisiana tech. And then hot hand gets second half. Mm-hmm. And then against K state, we'll kind of do something similar where like, Hey, the guy that had the best game there, you get the first drive and then we'll split the second drive between the other two. And if they look better, we'll stick with them. And then by the third, fourth, fifth week of the season, you kind of know what your running backs are. That would be my assumption as to what they're going to do specifically at that spot. And I think that's maybe the spot where that's most likely to happen. You know, this, this is not a foreign concept, Tiger fans. And you go back to 2011 and Kendall Lawrence, Henry Josie, Marcus Murphy, all three of them just kind of split snaps. Um, and just to figure out what they had, because everyone was kind of unproven. Didn't really know what they had. They're all pretty young and they just kind of fed the hot hand. Now that hot hand, it ended up being Henry Josie for most of the season until he, his leg fell apart. But, that's okay. You can do it this way. I, we have been kind of uh, conditioned by Eli Drinkwitz's offense that there is there is one running back and only one running back, and he kicks ass. Like that. Mm-hmm. That's all we've. That's all we've known. That's all we've known. So it is weird to head into the season with like we don't know who's at running back, and he might be juggling three. That is not uncommon. That that is something that even Alabama does. So I'm okay with it. It's it's weird, but it's I'm okay with it. It is shocking though because we just figured. Nate Pete would transfer in, take this job and run with it, pun intended. And that hasn't happened. <laughs> and not only has that not happened, but the other guy who's been here for three years, Elijah Young, who we thought was going to be the guy, is not the guy apparently. So maybe they just do need game reps to figure out who the quote unquote the guy is. I don't care who it is. It's Cody Schrader, it's Michael Cox, it's BJ Harris, Nate Pete, whatever. I don't care. If you got to juggle five, juggle five. All I'm looking for is that efficiency on the ground, the 44% efficiency that we're used to. That has to be there for the Eli Drinkwitz offense to work. If you need three guys to do it, use three guys to do it. If you need one, do one. But 
that is the core concept of how his offense works and however you got to do it. Just, just get it done. Yeah. I, they'll, I think they'll find somebody. I do think that in that room, like worst case scenario, we saw it in the bowl game. Elijah young can play. Mm -hmm. And so you, you know, you have a decent player back there. And now you're just looking for upside. You're hoping that you've got somebody else that can be able to step up and be even better than that. Or maybe it's Elijah Young who who steps up and is better than what he showed a year ago. Um, I, I think you're going to have somebody there that, and of all spots, running back is the easiest to replace yeah. um, pr production. So I think they'll be all right. I am curious, Nate, as we kind of look towards like what this week looks like for Mizzou and what we can learn about this team against Louisiana Tech. What do you want to learn? Like, what are the things that as we go into this game, you're saying to yourself as you look at the depth chart, I want to know how that looks. What What are you finding yourself saying? So I'm always going to be offensive focused. So I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible football fan in that way. Um, but I really want to know how this offensive line works regarding Connor Tolleson at center. Mm -hmm. um, you got to be super smart. You got to be have good control of the huddle. You got to know your calls. You got to know your shifts. And Connor Tolleson's been, he's starting his second year on the team. Now he is flanked by four dudes who are seniors and two, two of which are graduates. So he's got a lot of experience around him to, you know, correct him either forcefully or gently, um, or, or maybe help him out learning the position, but to have a red shirt freshman kind of calling, calling protections with a bunch of seniors, you know, how does that work? Is this our best offensive line? I'm really, really curious, honestly. When the death chart came out, Bobby Lawrence was second on the death for left tackle, mm -hmm. and Harmon Mimbu was second team for the right tackle. I I think it was Gabe DR. In fact, I'm like 90% Gabe ninety percent certain Gabe DRman pointed this out, so I'll give him credit for that. Um he is of the mind that it would be Bobby Lawrence as the backup for both because you don't usually see a freshman who can step in and play. Can I give you a different take? I'd love to hear it. I think it'll be Connor Wood that is the backup for both. See, that's what I'm thinking too. And you bump up EJ yeah. and Doma Ogar. Yep. Or, or, or Luke Griffin. Or I Luke think Griffin. Luke Griffin's probably the one that ends up just like, I think your backup at the two tackle spots right now is Connor Wood. And I think the backup for the interior offensive line basically is Luke Griffin. Um, so I, I think that's probably the way that it would go. Do you think there's a seventh guy or is this rotation at six? I I don't know. I, I guess that seventh guy is probably Bobby Lawrence. Yeah. And my real question is like, who's the backup center right now? Is it Richard Taylor? It must, is it Drake Heismeyer? I don't know. It must be. I, I'm, I'm totally serious when I say I don't know who their backup center is as of today. So that that would be the spot that I'm most concerned about if anything were to happen to Tolleson. And hey, man, fingers crossed we get to find out late in the fourth quarter, like what does the second offensive line unit look yeah. like? And then we'll yeah. know. But I, that is that is one spot. I am less worried about the tackle spots in terms of the depth than I am center in terms of the depth. Yeah. Uh, Richard Taylor has been on the team for five years. Uh, former walk-on, got his scholarship uh, back in 2020. And then again, Drake Heismeyer is third behind that, and he has more snaps at defensive tackle than he does at offensive line. So um, there you go. <laughs> but I, I am concerned. Uh, not concerned. I am curious what the offensive line plays like, looks like. And then the concern, yes, is, is how deep does it run um, yeah. reliably. So 
And for, for what it's worth, I, I was listening to a podcast today with a guy that covers Louisiana Tech because, like, listen, I'm not going to be a fraud. I, I don't know a ton about this team. I I know what they did last year, and I understand that while the, the overall record at 3-9 and nine looks awful, you go back through their individual games, especially early in that season, man, it, it, it wasn't that bad. Like, You're close. They were close. They lost by one against Mississippi State and had an early lead in that game. They lost by two against SMU. They lost by seven against NC State and had a real shot to be able to win that. And I think at that point in time, the team just fell apart. And like, you know how this is, Nate. You've you've seen what these locker rooms can do. Sometimes you have that many crushing losses when the, within the first month and a half of your season. It's like, man, what are we doing here? Um, so I, I think that things just kind of fell apart. So I don't think this team's as bad as what their record would indicate, but I was listening to a podcast with a guy that covers them, and he said their real strength is outside at defensive end, and their weakness defensively right now, especially when it comes to the depth, is along the interior. So one thing that I want to see, speaking to the offensive line that you were just mentioning, is how do those tackles hold up, Mm -hmm. especially Zeke Powell? Because you go back to the 2020 season and Zeke Powell was, man, given what our expectations were, solid. Mm -hmm. I don't think he was great. I also don't think he was this massive liability that I expected him to be going into the season as somebody that showed up like a week before game time Mm -hmm. and, you know, went up against Alabama in week number one. Mm -hmm. But he didn't really play a ton last year. And now you're just expecting him to be able to come on out and be good. (laughs) I don't know if that's going to be the case or not, but I'm really curious to see what it looks like. And apparently this is going to be a pretty good test for him. So yeah. I'm I'm very curious to see how the tackles hold up and you need them to hold up with Brady Cook back there. Yeah. My other question is, it's just it's the defense just in general. Um, this is, this is not going to be a, this is not going to be a test that's going to tell you a whole lot. I don't think um, if Sonny Cumbie runs the offense that he is used to running, um, it is air raid. It is, you know, wide set offensive line. It's quick passes. It's a lot of tempo, you know, 60 plays <laughs> a game, passing the ball and moving as fast as you possibly can. So I don't know if we're not, we're probably not going to see a lot of testing on the interior of the defensive line or like how the linebackers do playing the run. There's going to be probably a lot more shell coverage, you know, maybe a couple stray blitzes from uh, Tyron Hopper, or maybe maybe a safety or, or you know from Martez Manuel like it's going to be a lot of just playing the pass if this offense is what I think it's going to be so you're really not going to get a good idea I don't think of how the run defense holds up but you've got a lot of new pieces out there uh, a lot of transfers came in and then a lot of new guys uh, at the corner positions and basically I'm just like okay how does it all work what does a Blake Baker defense look like when he has these pieces can these pieces do what he wants them to do um, it's going to be a very early test for the corners, uh, but I just I just want to see how it holds up. And I don't know if this is the best test for that, but it's the one we have, so they they need to they need to pass hmm. it. Yeah, I that that is one thing that I'm curious about as well. And going back to that interview that I heard, it's interesting because the guy was mentioning that the personnel at Louisiana Tech doesn't really match this system yet. Like they they don't necessarily have the especially at tackle the guys to hold up against quality defensive ends. So to your point on the pass rush, they better be getting home. Like if you're going up against a team that is not as good as you in general in terms of the talent, 
And then you've got a team that doesn't have the personnel necessarily to be a 40-plus pass attempts per game team because of who they have at tackle and because they're they're lacking at a couple of the receiver spots, although Smoke Harris is a very good player. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then you need to be able to have some success defensively. And especially with how much they have invested in that position, we know what Trajan Jeffcoat and Isaiah McGuire are capable of. We know. I want to see what DJ Coleman looks like. I didn't see it. I'm going to be totally honest with you guys. I went back and watched him, and last year, I thought a lot of it was hype, and based on what he had done in 2020 in terms of why he was a, a, a All-American at that level, I didn't see it. I, I watched a lot of his film and thought he was a very average player, even for that level. I thought there were other players on his defense that flashed more than him. But people are excited about him. And I've seen a couple of guys that do some NFL draft stuff that have said, like, he's one of the guys worth monitoring this weekend. That's that's shocking to me. And I really want to see what it looks like. And I hope they're right and I'm wrong. Yeah. The other thing I want to see is along the interior. Jaden Jernigan, Josh Landry, Christian mm-hmm. Williams. You guys should be good in this spot. Your power five players that have done it at this level before. You've played against quality opponents. What do you look like in this spot? I, I really want to see those guys. I know we, we've seen Robinson, we've seen Jeff Coat, we've seen McGuire. What do those new additions look like a lo- against an offensive line that should be overmatched in this mm-hmm. game? Yeah, absolutely. Should we get into the game? Should we talk about the game? Let's do it. Let's talk about the game. I don't like it. I know. I know you don't. I, yes, it is true that Louisiana Tech in their first uh, five games, they were all within one score. Uh, 35-34 Mississippi State, 45-42 SELA, Southeastern Louisiana. They barely beat them. Uh, 39-37 SMU, 24-17 North Texas, which they won. And then 34-27 NC State. I want to tell you a secret. Louisiana Tech was not playing well. (laughs) They were not playing well in those games. Um, Mississippi State, SMU, NC State went on to have great seasons. They played maybe their worst game of the season against Louisiana Tech. Now, how much of that is underperforming and how much of that was Louisiana Tech? I don't know. I can't get you that deep. (laughs) What I can tell you is that from a postgame win expectancy, Man, Louisiana Tech had no business hanging around, and really it was just two teams playing at their C-minus game, and the game ended with the other team in lead. So <laughs> I get it. It looked better from a, you know, oh, they were just as close to five or six wins. Yes, that's true. They also played terribly, and and they should if they were playing any better, they would have won those games. So whatever. They had a lot of transfers out on the offensive side. They had a lot of transfers in on the defensive side, most of those from Illinois of all places. Um, their defensive co- coordinator, Scott Power, is a really good DC. Their offense, it's it's a talent negator. It's just like the triple the triple option, right? It's it's a scheme that's really easy to learn, really easy to execute, and nullifies athletic advantages a team can have over another. So there is absolutely a way that this game either goes longer than it should or just scares the pants off of Missouri. But I'm telling you, Missouri should beat the piss out of these guys. And if mm. they are focused, if they are motivated, and if they are anywhere near as talented as Drinkwitz is hinting at, and we believe, this should not be a game. It can be a game if you take your eye off the ball, but it should not. 
So I know you're scared, BK. I know these games prove nothing, but it could prove you know, a little bit, like put it on film, see how the scheme's working. If you have any bugs, here's your chance to figure it out before K-State. So whether it's close or not, I don't particularly care. Just win, baby. But man, I don't know. I'm going against character and I'm going against what I usually do, but I just, I think the, the Tigers should win pretty handily. I really do. Do you think Mizzou covers the spread? No, I don't think they cover the spread. Okay. They probably win by like 17, something like that. Okay. But it's like they get up and then it just like, okay, we're done. And then stop scoring and just kind of play the twos and, and write it out. Okay. See, that's, that's kind of where I'm at as well. Like I don't famous last words, right? I am not super concerned that Missouri's going to lose this game. Like I, that is not where I'm coming from. I hate it because I think it's going to be one of those games where you're like consistently up by 14 to 17 points. And by the end of the game, you're like, I did not enjoy any of that. Like none of that was fun for me. <laughs> sure. That was really stupid. And they just beat a team that they're clearly better than. And I'm happy about that, but that should not have been as frustrating as it was to watch at times. Sure. And I don't really have a good comparison in recent years as to what this game reminds me of, because I, I don't know that there's a great one in recent years that kind of lives up to these expectations. And I think this Mizzou team is just kind of different than what we've seen lately from Missouri teams. So mm -hmm. it's just kind of a weird game, man. Maybe, you know what, you know what it might be kind of similar to mm -hmm. a little different, but similar Remember that Toledo game back in 2013? Was that was a pretty good Toledo team. ask if you thought it was going to be Toledo. Yep. Kind, kind of like that, where you're like, just they're just like this gnat that won't go away. And you never at any point in the game feel like you're going to lose. But by the end, you're like, why, what did I just watch? Why, why did that happen the way that it did? I think that's kind of what it's going to be. I will forever and ever love that 2013 Toledo game because it gave us the Marcus golden interception mm -hmm. with the Mario Kart banana, uh, that they slipped, <laughs> they put the, for the meme that had the quarterback slip and fall as he was chasing after him, trying to tackle him that, Oh my God, that always made me laugh. But I mean, <laughs> that was, that game was not super close. I think it was a pretty comfortable cushion for most of the game, but yeah, that is one where like, you are better than what the casual. I mean, kind of, but like you went into the middle of the third quarter and you were up by a score and then they made it 24, 23. Like you, you really? went into late third quarter and it was 24, 23. Wow. I have a fundamentally. Different <laughs> like, <from that> game. <laughs> I mean, it, I thought they listen, were up by like 14 the entire time. They were up until then. It was 17 to not really. Actually, it was like a one score game. Most of that game. It was Mizzou goes up three, nothing. They end up tying it three, three. Mizzou goes up 10 to three, 10 to six. And then it's 17 to nine later on 24, 16, 24, 23, 31, 23, 38. Finally, by the end of it. Uh, fourth quarter, Mizzou ends up taking the lead by a sizable margin. Then it's 38, 23. And that's the way it ends. Well, but yeah. Okay. I uh, just completely. I don't, and I, I also don't think this is going to be quite as close as that one was. I think that this is more of what you're talking about, where it's like 
17 to 6 going into halftime mm-hmm. and you're like, "Yeah, I, I I think we're in a good spot, but I'm I'm not totally sure." And then they come out, they score again. It's like 20 to 6 and mm-hmm. that's kind of the way that it stays with like them at an arm's length the rest of the way. Yeah. Well, this game can go a lot of different ways. Obviously, it's college football and you know, college kids uh <laughs> notoriously inconsistent. So, who who knows what the heck happens? There's a couple things I want to see, though. Number one, it's going back to the running backs. I want to make sure that that Drinkwitz ground game is as efficient as it always is. Everything's predicated off of that. Number two, show me what these receivers can do. <laughs> you did all the hard work of bringing them on campus. Now let's use them and let's have some fun with them. Mookie Cooper says he's 195% healthy, which great. I don't know what that means, but great. Dominic Lovett's going to be playing in his natural position at the slot. And <clears throat> Luther Burden plays for Missouri. So show me what they can do. <laughs> show me some big passing plays. I, Brady Cook, try the deep ball, man. Like you got, you got, you got space to explore. So let's, let's do it. And then really just like with any game, if you want to put an opponent away, you need to score and you need to score touchdowns. And so, you know, with either because of Harrison Mavis or because running backs been basically the only weapon that Missouri has been able to use for the past two years, Drink tends to get a little conservative in scoring uh, in scoring opportunities. He's averaged exactly 4.14 points per trip, both in 2020 and 2021, which is kind of weird. That's wild. Yeah. Um, the number one team uh, the past two years has been Coastal Carolina that averages about 5.5 per trip. So that's just for context. I want to see him finish with touchdowns. And when you have a quarterback who can scoot, you got receivers who can go up and get the ball, and you got a couple of running backs that you can apparently rely on to run the ball, and you don't need to protect them. Let's let's see some creativity. Let's see some aggression. Let's finish with some touchdowns. And if you do those things, number one, you're probably going to win the game. And number two, it's going to make me feel very happy. If I were to lay out the case for, like, if these things happen, it portends good things for the rest of the season, it would be as follows. Brady Cook has a very good game. You end up seeing everything you could have asked for and then some out of Luther Burden, including a punt return that Mm. either goes for a long gain or maybe even a touchdown. You know, just why why not? They call him touchdown Luther for a reason. (laughs) Dominic Lovett has a deep pass that they connect on that shows you that Brady Cook has the arm to connect deep with the Mm. guy who specializes in such a play. Mm. Mookie Cooper looks like a guy who is fully healthy this time around and takes a couple of jet sweeps for like 10 to 12 yards. And you're like, okay, he could get that at any point in time against anybody. Mm -hmm. On the defensive side of the ball, the pass rush gets home. You see from DJ Coleman and let's call it Jaden Jernigan. They are legitimate difference makers that change the complexion in the depth of that unit. And at linebacker, Tyron Hopper is everywhere. Mm-hmm. He's a sideline to sideline linebacker, unlike anything that they have had since like 2017. And that dude is going to be an absolute menace for opposing teams. Therese Hall was the last time you saw somebody moving the way that he does on a football field at linebacker. Mm-hmm. I think that's your best case scenario from this game. If those things happen, it's a very good thing for what the rest of the season is going to look like. Absolutely. Yeah. There's competent defense, man. I just want to see competent defense. We were seeing it towards the end of last year. 
and then we blew up the staff and lost a bunch of people. I just, I just want to see that. That's all. So, yeah. Um, and maybe get a look at the twos. That'd be nice too. <laughs> just see, see what the, the staff thinks and what the, uh, what the depth chart actually is when, when the bullets are flying in the game day. So I'm excited, man. It's going to be fun. Too, Worst case scenario, we're going to have some takeaways, some, some actual on field takeaways from the Mizzou football team. And that's, that's a win by my book. Absolutely. Well, you all did it. Made it through the off season. We are we are less than twenty four hours away from the from the game. Um, so we are back with our two shows per week. Uh, we will do a recap this weekend. It's Labor Day weekend, so I know everyone's kind of vacation mindset. But we will record Saturday night in my basement. We'll be in the same area, which will be unique and fun. Uh, so you'll get a, a weird, interesting podcast there. <laughs> um, and then we'll get ready for Kansas State. That's going to be a, uh, you got a little bit longer because your game's on Thursday. Uh, so you got a little bit more time to prepare. But that following Saturday, you get to go to Manhattan. And uh, well, 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 we'll talk about that team after we get through <laughs> this one. <laughs> PK, any parting shots? No, if you thought I was terrified of Louisiana Tech, just wait until uh, next week's podcast. That's what I'll say on that one. <laughs> That's a problem for future Nate and BK though. Not, not now. That's right. That's right. Not yeah. Now. In the meantime, hopefully we see so much positive from this game against Louisiana tech that we are feeling great about what it's going to look like when Missouri travels to Manhattan. Uh, lots to learn between now and then though. And I can't wait to do it, man. It's going to be fun. Enjoy the game. If you guys are going out to Columbia, first of all, drive safe, uh, be careful, expect the traffic. You know how that's going to go, especially mm-hmm. on the first game of the season on a Thursday night, you already got to deal with rush hour and then getting into Columbia. It ain't going to be fun, <laughs> but give yourself plenty of time. Enjoy it. Embrace being back in Columbia where it's full capacity and everything. It, it, it'll be a really good time, and I'm looking forward to being able to break this one down on Saturday with you. Absolutely. So that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' flagship at Rockin' Nation and listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, I'm Z. Z-O-U.